my father, when he came back from the war, um, had a job as a hotel porter or night porter at the at the at Soden's, and then he gradually took over more of the running until George Carter, the the owner who'd um, inherited the property from James Soden. He liked to take long sea voyages in the um, in the Aubrey winter, so Dad would take over the managing. So we would go back even oh, as a toddler, I think, for holidays for a period of six weeks or so. But then in about 53, George Carter wanted to retire from active work, so Dad took over the licence. So we shifted in the whole family. I had two brothers, a younger and an older. Uh, and so we shifted into Soden's then and lived there from about 53 up to uh, 63. Yeah, right. So those 10, all my growing up time sort of thing, really. Yes. Yeah, my independent growing up time, yeah. Well, she was sorry about giving up her little home that they'd mm. built after the war in Bellevue Street, but she took on the role uh, of housekeeper, so she ran all the housekeeping side of the hotel, um, you know, like the linen, the, uh, all the domestic staff and that sort of thing. So she was fully occupied. Okay, well, it was different. I sort of hungered to have a normal, normal house in a way, but we had the stables at the back. Um, old Darcy, I remember him down in the back. He used to be the the, the stable caretaker and you know he was a great old character and I you know I loved spending time with him um, yes I'd go down to the kitchen and instead of um, mum lost a little bit control lost a little bit of the meal time control because I'd go into the kitchen oh I'll have that or I'll have that you know and I get my own meal when I was you know a little bit older early teenagers sort of thing um, Yes, uh, it was, uh, I inherited stories from my parents about how it used to be, as in, um, it was the hotel still of the commercial traveller when I was there, yeah. and the Aubrey Show, and the wool stores, and the um, trade fair we used to have, so local country people would come into town and spend a week in Aubrey. It wasn't as easy just to whip in and out of Aubrey now with the freeway like, um, like it is now, mm. then. Mm. So would people, if they're coming into Aubrey, would be country people, you know, even people as close as Mullingandra and that sort of thing, you know, that they'd come in and spend the time because they had their animals in here or or something in here, did, did their business. So, um, yeah, so that it was the time of, that was the era before it became um, more of a, a, a pub or something. It was more a, a hotel. It was a hotel then. Yeah. yeah. And my dad uh, was responsible for a little bit of the modernising, like it was the motel era too, starting up. Mm. So that was seen as competition. So you had to have base. Prior to that, were just bedrooms. Well, then they um, dad organised um, basins in the bathroom, which was a start of the ensuite, you know, that sort of thing. So that gradual development. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, so um, I enjoyed having plenty of room to move around with it still had the old furniture and it had um back alley and it had um it's gone now but um there was a another double story building next to the back veranda where um they had a big attic 
yeah. and down below there was a little sort of like stable um, cubicles and I know that the old fellow in there used to do the potatoes and I used to be fascinated by his potato because you only got dirty potatoes, mm. not clean potatoes. So in a, a tub he would, um, you'd see them being washed and then he'd peel the potatoes. So, yeah, <laughs> I got to know a lot of the staff, you know, just by... Oh, they'd bring in. They'd often be racehorses stabled there as they were going through, or going to the Melbourne show, or going to the Sydney show. The shows were a big thing then, you know, for animals and that sort of thing. And as I said, the the wool sales and the um, and the trade fairs. You know, yeah. the country people were. And then they mentioned George Carter. They don't mention my dad. And for that decade, there was nothing done. So he did a lot there, modernised the bar and, and you know, uh, brought it up to more modern times. Yeah, right. Um, as you entered the front door, as it was then, because now I don't go into Sadness very, I've only been in there about twice, I think, because I don't have a need to go in there. Yes. But when I have gone in, I'll get lost. It's completely different in now. It's been, yeah. I mean, I remember climbing up on the, top roof and I wouldn't do that now. Oh, really? But, uh, Quite uh, often? No, but occasionally I did it. I don't think my parents knew. Uh, <laughs> so I, I talk about, yeah, Dad, uh, the essential process of modernising ho- the hotel. Um, Dad went on to establish the beer garden with the surrounds of wire fence. Uh, then I said a personal thing, Mr and Mrs Carter, always very stern but really just unfamiliar with children. Um, Darcy Smith was oh, a, and Jean Barton, Billy Barton. The foot, he was a uh, well-known footballer. Um, she was the cook at that stage. Oh. Bill the Potato Man. Many happy times. All my friends, I, I mean, kid-like, I suppose. I'd wanted a normal house, but my friends were fascinated if they'd come, and I'd take them into the because it was. Um, the bar was shut. I didn't go into the bar, but there was another or the beer garden. There was a little little bar sort of thing. I'd take them in out of hours that wasn't open and make them a squash, you know, lemon squash. And they they'd think that. that. Yes, they did Much think that was. Yes. So did you go to school quite nearby? Like, um, I well, I, I think I had one year in Albury Public. Then I went. Bec- then I went to North Aubrey because North Aubrey Public, when I started school, only went up to about third class and then you had to swap schools. So oh. my mother thought it'd be better that I started in Aubrey Public and just continued. But in the meanwhile, it changed. So in second class, I was out at North... Oh, well, I swapped. But I put my, I said I don't want to change again and they gave in to me. So I used to ride my bike from Sodens out to... Oh, Christmas dinner. Have... Why don't you tell us about Christmas dinner? Uh, it was always very busy. Uh, and I remember not being happy that we had to have Christmas dinner at 11.30 or 3 p.m. <laughs> and I didn't like <laughs> eating in the dining room anyway. It was too formal. I preferred to go to the kitchen and check out what was on and then selecting what I wanted and I took it back to our flat to eat. Um, Mum usually had to go and have a drink with Mrs Carter prior to dinner time. Um and that was a time I wanted tea, so as I said, I went and served myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the gong was always rung for meals, and you could hear it throughout the hotel. Mm. So, yeah. 
Uh, generally, it's not easy raising a family while living in a hotel. And, and any time I got into trouble, I always had the threat of being sent to boarding school hanging over me. Uh, my mother told me later I was only going to go to boarding school if I had been one of those kids that hang around the bar. But I was never interested in that. And, and uh, on the contrary, always pretended when I could that I didn't live in a hotel. My parents did, went out to the farm at Bona. I bought, bought it in town, which seems, uh, it would it, you wouldn't today, but in those days we didn't have a spare car. And uh, in fact, my brother, my younger brother, used to catch the train from Bona into the grammar school, get off because they had a little up there for the, the grammar school boys. We'd catch the train at Table. They'd drive him to Tabletop and then he'd catch catch the train. Mum was always there. Mum wasn't a fancy... You wouldn't say that she was had any very strong talent at anything, but she was always there and she was a jack-of-all-trades sort of person. And I suppose that's more or less what I am too. No, no striking, you know, not going to get the awards, but, you know, just there. Yeah. Extremely competent. Yeah, competent in what, well, steady and secure. Yeah. So, yeah. And as I just said, you know, just mixing with the other women in the in the hotel, the other working women. And um, my, had a grandmother who um, lived in East Aubrey and she had been a strong, she was, had been widowed very early. Her husband had been a policeman in Aubrey. Um, and, he died in the same year as the Ivor, 1934. So she raised three daughters in Aubrey, uh, which wasn't easy in those days. Um, yeah, so it was always good to go to Nana and hear about other things, her growing up on the farm and that sort of thing. Yeah. But my dad, we shifted out to um, Bona, as I said, and I'd go out at the weekends. Um, I had a boyfriend then who's now my husband, has been for a long time. But we'd drive out, go out the weekend. So we had we were, lived where it's great Aussie resort. Yeah, my, yeah right. Uh, father had that, so oh. it was great in the summertime, and yeah, we had some fun times out there. Is this when you started working at the libraries? Uh, yes, yes, because I left school. 17, I think I was the last year that you didn't go on to HSC. Your HSC was included in your your fifth year. Yes. So I went straight away in January, I think, I got the job. Three people were employed, and I talk about that in the library talk. Um, there were three positions vacant. Um, Olga Mary Whelan left and um, Marilyn Abbott. Now, they probably names probably don't need anything to you, but they're both famous Aubrey ladies. Do you know Olga? She was the first female yeah. presenter on AMB4 when we got TV, and she just died last year. Oh. She shifted away. She was the daughter of a um, a, a doctor in Aubrey, but she's a very interesting character. Yeah. The first, like if you look at AMB history, she's mentioned she was the first woman presenter. Olga so she Mary. left. Olga Mary Whelan. Olga Mary Whelan. W-H-E-L-A-N, and just died last year. And Marilyn Abbott, who, oh no, she goes as Marilyn's wreck now. She um, 
worked in the library and then got um, got married, but that married to a local person didn't last. But she went and went did some design course in Sydney and she helped design the tax office, not the new one, the old one, mm-hmm. and now lives in England and she's a well-known, she's written books um, on gardening, landscaping, particularly big on in that. In fact, I've seen her on, I just happened to watch one of the gardening shows where they go around these stately homes and that sort of thing. Had a background of finance, I think, so that, you know, there's two ladies left at the same time, so I was appointed and this was January 64, it'd have to be, because I did my leaving in 63. I did library training later through distance and that sort of thing, formal library training. And was this the Mechanics? Mechanics Institute, which was on Dean Street. Whereabouts? Right down as you walk down left of uh, Indian Street on the northern side to the right of the current art gallery. Oh, that yeah. colonnade was still there. So it was Mechanics Institute building, yeah. which uh, had the um, picture theatre underneath. I don't think I've got a picture of it. Um, no, that's not what I'm saying. Yes. Um, it, yes, you used to go to the pictures there yeah. every um, you, and any it was before the performing arts theatre was built. Yes. So the Mechanics Institute building had the adult library and the workrooms upstairs. Mm. No, children's library and the workrooms upstairs. The librarian's office and the adult library was downstairs. Mm. And then you went through to the theatre part and all our school Anything that happened in Albury was in the Mechanics Institute, anything dramatic or um, musical. Yeah. School speech days. I can remember Cleaver Bunton there many times saying, in this fair city of Albury. <laughs> that was always school kids. You'd listen, now when's Cleaver going to say this? Yeah. He was the mayor of Albury for this long and he ended up becoming a senator for a short time. I don't know how many years years but a long long time well his brother too Hayden was a famous Melbourne uh, AFL footballer well I think people would be out on strike if they did it (laughs) these days to go to the toilet you had to go to the librarian's office and get the key to go to the toilet which out the back near the wood pile which you had to take turns bringing the wood in for the fire. Um, yeah, and then so the downstairs was the big uh, the adult learning library, but it was typical of the libraries of the days, you know, I'm not, and that was our, our only building um, until, so I worked there from 64 to 66 or 67. We shifted out up to the new library, which was going to be, so my library talk the library the you know it was a very modern library mm. for that era mm. but when we shifted out everybody was saying oh, it's so antiquated and yeah and old but it was tip it was great for the time and I remember the official opening and so then yeah I shifted in and shifted out I was only 17 when I started yes. there but I got married at 20 yes, yes. um so I left so I've been in gone a few times so uh, in those days uh, you had your, there was no super or uh, not 
well, there was no super, yes, but there was no maternity leave is what I'm trying to say. Mm. So I, I left um, in 67 mm. for quite a few years because my children are scattered. I have six children. Mm. Three were fairly close together. And I think I went back after that part-time and then I had two more. Mm. And I was full-time. And then I had the sixth one eight mm. years later. Mm. Yes, mm. so mm. backwards and forwards. Yes, because I study. I didn't – I did the traineeship sort of mm. thing initially before I was married, but then I didn't study until after I was home with having children. Mm. Um, and did that by distance. And that was – a good time we um a few of us started the course at the same time so we'd go down for block release and then do independent study um yes when you first had your first child and there was no maternity leave i have a question at the time that you were married were you expected to stop work when you got married or had that changed no no and because i worked on yes. yes yeah no that hadn't changed um no but when you had children you left Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, it was expected that you left. Is that correct? Uh, yes, I would think so. I don't think there would be many people that would have worried about childcare or, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, was there even any childcare? Any formal childcare? Not formal, no. I don't think, don't think so at that stage. I could, yes, I can't remember. Um, there might have been informal, like if people through their circumstances had to work, their mm. grandma or somebody might have mm. done the job. Mm. Yeah. As you were raising your young children, like who did who did you seek support from? Did your mother help? Did you have a group of other mothers? Or, or? Um, I was fairly independent, I suppose, and my husband... Uh, well, initially, yes, I went to family daycare for mm. a couple of the children, um, the later ones, because the early ones I was home with, mm. um, family daycare, and then over at uh, Yurunga Child Care Centre. And then my husband was self-employed, and um, and he had his own business. So he, with the younger one, who came a lot late, 19 years after the first one, mm. nearly 20 years, uh, he was in a position to pick him up, do a lot of the pick up and delivery, or be home at tea time when he was. If I worked till seven, I worked my. I was fortunate that I was able to choose my hours in a way that the library opened till seven. So sometimes I'd start late and finish at seven. So we worked it out between ourselves. But uh, my mother was a back um, backdrop if I needed somebody. Yeah, but usually um, we managed. Um, oh, and I looked after my sister-in-law's children at one stage when I was home mowing children. So you know she made the use of our connection. Yeah, which was mutual. Yeah, beneficial that sort of thing. To the new library. library. Is that the library now? Or no, 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 the mechanics. No. Up in, it was, you come out of the front door of the, the library and yeah. walked over to the steps of the um, 
continue at the theatre. Oh, right. Okay. So it's gone now. Yeah. It's now, um, what do they call it? What's the current name? The perform uh, the, um, the um, <laughs> what's the current name? It's changed a couple of the Albury Entertainment Centre. When I shifted in, that's how it was workroom up there, big library downstairs. Yep, but then in the 70s, when I wasn't there, they extended this roof and it was art gallery. Then the art gallery moved out to down to where the town the council had been, yeah, uh, down. Uh, next to the Mechanics Institute, and so the junior library took over this top tier here. Okay. The workroom was still out here, and downstairs was all the adult library. I'm interested in the, how the libraries were developed in the broader context of Albury. So what were some of the highlights of working at the library? When you look oh, we used to go out in the... It was part, those early days, it was part of the Upper Murray Regional Library. It yep. was a branch. So we had a panel van. And so a lot of the local towns didn't have their own staff. So they just had a little branch library with a librarian that going once or twice a day, yep. uh, once or twice a week. Yep. And so we would have to do book exchanges. So uh, we'd have to go out in the panel van and you were rostered on um, I think we'd go out twice a week, unless it was an overnight one, mm. up to Tumbarumba, Cancoban, so quite a big area, right from the Upper Murray. So that was always good going out. Oh, it's my turn to go out and, uh, and do an exchange. Mm. Some of them were a bit more mundane, but um, generally it was so you, uh, two of you would go out in the panel van, you'd have all these boxes of books to unload, and you'd have to go through the card system you know it had everything nothing was computerized obviously and so it, everything was done on the card system so you'd have to make sure that you had matching books for matching cards for matching books and so you'd leave them dsls they were called duplicate shelf list because we had a shelf list back in albury and these were the um, dsls you'd leave with the books so we'd bring books back and then when you bought them back you'd then have to check them all in and get them ready for the next exchange. So if Rutherglen books came back and they were going to Telangana, which might be the same size, so you could work out where they've had them and or sometimes each little library would have a um, their own profile and they'd want mystery books, more mystery books, so you'd have to make sure. So so that was that was good. That was yeah. good, yeah. So. Very ordered. And who did you, like, um, you spoke about... Um, the two people that you took over from, Marilyn and Olga. Uh, Who else did you work with over your time? Like, ah, uh, yes. Well, they've all gone now. Most of, um, not, uh, Mrs. Vickers was the children's librarian, and there were actually three enrolled. I can't remember who the third one was who left. Um, but three of us started two straight away in January, and another girl started in February. Um. I and so we were appointed to different roles in the library because if you're not like the lib a library like any other job has lots of different aspects. So I was appointed to Mrs. Vickers. She was a children's librarian. So it was my role to help on the children's library and to help prepare the children's exchanges is what we call them. Uh, and there was Pat Watson. Um, she was an ex she'd been in the army. Yeah. Elizabeth Murdoch, um, yes, she was doing the admin sort of uh, side of it. Janet Allenby, or Janet Freer as she is now, 
she um, she still lives in Albury. She was one of the older girls because remember I was only mm. seventeen, um, and um, Miss Vernon, Muriel Vernon, was the librarian. Yeah. Oh, so she was the head. Yes, she was the head of the Upper Murray. There was no, and Albury was, yeah, there wasn't in an independent Albury. Yeah. It was sort of this is headquarters, and then Kyra and all these branches, um, and then it was wasn't until much later that Albury uh, became its own own library. And that's more recent times, in the time of Karina, Karina Clement, yeah. uh, that um, Aubrey pulled out of the regional library and then Wodongadid and it's non-existent now. But it served a, a mighty purpose in those days, you know, when travel wasn't easy and there was no e-books uh, or libraries or, you know, access to computers. So in its day from... Uh, the late forties to something it um, served a real community purpose. Yeah, gee, that is true. People now probably forget how important libraries really were at that time mm. because it's difficult now to picture a world without instant access to information, mm. isn't it? Mm. But actually, having instant access to information is extremely new. It is, yeah. When I think when we started. Well, apart from information, just in the library, we had card catalogues. Mm. <laughs> the old card catalogue is now in our garage used for holding screws and whatever, that, you know, <laughs> which is a very handy. Um, but then how exciting it was, Microfish was coming mm. and then we had the old Apple computer, which wasn't easy and, yeah, I'm glad that's gone. Uh, and microfish, which still is used for some of the old, records. yeah, old records, um, although they've digitised a lot of, you know, retrospective digitised a lot of them. And then, yeah, then computers. And but the charge was so important in those days. The charge was a, a box uh, divided into sections, and you had because every book had cards in it because that's how you borrowed them and you had your library card and you exchange you had to get it marked on so they would you'd pull the card out of the book and put it in the charge and, the, and at the end of the, each day you'd have to put them in alphabetical order and numerical order or you know in section genre order or whatever order so yes the worst thing in the world was if you dropped the charge and spilled everything, you'd have to put it all back in order again. Yeah, But, you know, I take that for granted, but to people who've never worked, who've been in a library with an old card catalogue or a... How did you find it when the computers came in and everything went on to the catalogues and everything? Yes, I've always enjoyed change. I'm, I'm not a visionary person. I can't see, oh, we need this big step next. But I've always embraced, um, I've looked forward to the novelty to start with and, and learning. And I remember saying to somebody, um, this is when we were still part of Upper Murray, and the secretary or the person who, the, who did most of the typing for the library, sent out letters and things, said she was going off on a course. And I said, what course are you doing? Oh, word processing. And I said, what's that? I had no idea, you know, what word processing was. Yeah. So you take that for granted now. You know, every 
two-year-old could basically do something on a computer. Yeah. Oh, yes, that was a big thing, Book Week, and still is, I think. Um, I'm not involved uh, down at the Library Museum very much now these days, but I do go into Lavington quite a bit because they call me in for gap-filling times, yeah. And I know that the girls there are very keen on programs and organising, but, yeah. But, yes, it used to take, had to plan out. Well, in those days, early on, you had to, Julie had to, uh, Julie, who was our graphic artist, had to do the backdrop and plan, you know, like the um, Children's Book Council would give you a theme, so you'd work around the theme. It could be pirates or it could be animals or whatever, uh, and so you'd have to work around the theme. Do you think you faced any um, um, roadblocks due to your gender or your status as a working mum? Hmm. Well, we're mainly a female <laughs> workforce, so it was a less of an impact than it was a novelty if a male was employed. Uh, yes, so through my gender, no, not really. And I probably, in those early years, wasn't high enough up the hierarchy to have it matter much anyway. Probably, if you were in a more, you know, a more supervisory role. I was a supervisor at, at the end of my career, but um, early on. Well, there'd be a mixture. Maybe there'd still be a lot of women because I used to go to courses at the State Library in Sydney, and they would come down from time to time, not to inspect us. There'd be more the council that'd be worried about. Uh, yeah, the the council that would invested financially in us, um, uh, but no, because I, and I think that's the difference in that was a, was seen as a female role, but there were males in it. Of course, mm. usually, oh, we did have a, a male children's librarian at one stage. Um, yeah. Say it would still be a fairly female dominated. It industry. is, yes, and it's good to have some males in it. I mean, it's always good to have a mix because, yeah. Mm. Yes, I mean, I mean, men love books too. I wonder why libraries have always been a bastion of women. I think you'll find that a lot of men gravitate to you um, know academic libraries or specialist libraries. Mm. Um, yeah because it's a different role. The public library, in a way, using your word, is more of a nurturing um, facility in many ways, especially in the little libraries like Lavington, mm. um, where you need to have, you have to, or people expect more hands-on help, you know, um, and I don't know how to do this sort of, mm. and you've got to spend time with people. So, um, whereas in bigger libraries, or even the Library Museum, which is bigger, not taking anything back from the staff, but it's just because they do the best they can, but it's a bigger environment. You just don't have time to sit and and you're letting the workflow go to somebody else, to one of your colleagues, if you spend all your time 
helping one person, these people are not being helped and all your workmate is rushing around trying to cover all bases. So it's a different type of library. Yeah. Just wise to an interesting question. On any given day, so you say any given day in a library, who comes into a library? Depending on the library, um, we're looking at the library museum. Oh, it could be no, it, anybody. Well, it could be um, if story time or activities, you have a lot of mums and carers with children. Sometimes a carer will come in for story time and they might have the limit of however many they can have, four or five, I don't know what their limit is, uh, will bring them in. So you've always got your newspaper people that come in to <laughs> some very regular ones that like to be there first and, and get the newspaper. You've got the people... Uh, just wanting to borrow books and you usually have your large print people or the older people come in in the quieter times either if it's summer they'll come in early or um, then you'll have the work people after work you have the school kids after school and uh, who have I left out a lot of, now there's a lot of you know groups such as multicultural groups or that sort of thing coming in and they're usually regular regular in that they're weekly, that sort of thing. Uh, the libraries these days do a wonderful job with programs, whereas they were, used to always have programs, but it was less of a, a thing. Now with um, people, uh, less now of doing homework help in that, um, of the easy stuff, you know, uh, like Google it, Google it, but then if they've got to get original sources or something. that, okay, a child has got a great reading age and they'll get books, books either beyond their ability or beyond their what they need to know sort of mm. thing. So you've got to mm. do a little bit of guiding, you know, mm. and not allowed to censor, but, you know, just common sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I know that when I had my children, you had to pick them up sometime. Go to the library. We'll pick you up at the library. Mm. Oh, well, I go back now and I haven't pulled my name off the casual list. Um, I like going in there, well, first of all, to, to meet the people, the, the staff, and then just mix with general public and also to keep any skills that I had just up and just to be aware of what's coming next mm. sort of thing because libraries have got the responsibility of being at the forefront of what's going to happen and being visionary, yeah. I'm not the best person in the world to be visionary, What, but uh, some people are to know that, oh, okay, in Sydney they do this or do that. Maybe we should be doing doing that. And so, um, yeah. So do you think statements like, you know, the death of libraries, what do you think when people make statements like that? No, it's sort of very narrow-minded in that libraries, like most workplaces have had to rethink or diversify or um, just rebrand themselves in a way and pick up other options and I think the libraries are a classic example of that of having to um, develop their e-books and also their programs and make it more of a um, culturally um, comfortable area uh, for for all people um, yeah, and just being open. 
training is important and the council have done a, or are doing a great job of making sure that people, they make the facilities ready for people to be trained or do um, in-service work. So, mm. so that's good. And um, the current management has always sponsored that and given people a chance. Oh, you've never been to the State Library. You need to go to the State Library and, and see the big picture. Mm. So that's, that's good. Education as a librarian. You mm -hmm. said that after you started working as a as a as a librarian, you then went and did some study. study. Can you can you talk about your kind of pathway there? Well, it was only when I was at home with children that I went to see the current librarian and said, "How do I do it?" And uh, there are a couple of different options. I didn't do the degree course. I did more that I went down the, the uh, TAFE track, yeah. so that involved going to Footscray in Melbourne, and um, which is now a university, um, uh, and then go up to Albury TAFE and do various courses, and also did through the TAFE um, level four supervising courses and that sort of thing. So I found that if you're interested to do it, there are always opportunities to, to um, develop your skills uh, or to move forward, yes. Because I imagine you would have had to do a lot, like because as you say, libraries have changed over time, how they've run, what they offer. Mm. So actually that role of ongoing education would be very important as a librarian. Yes, particular. yes it is. Mm. Um, sometimes things just happen, like um, when Upper Murray left, they left, we had the history room um, material, which mm. was a big thing, so that had to be divided up, but nobody on the... Aubrey staff, because by then Aubrey was separate with their staffing. You either worked for Aubrey or for Upper Murray. Um, so there was nobody on, in the Aubrey that um, was looking after the history material. So that's when I took that on and sort of had to um, d develop some skills there So and, and an interest because I was local and... Um, not that you have to be local to develop skills in that area, but a, but a genuine interest anyway. And then undertook to do my own family history because that's what people were asking for and I had to find the pathway. So um, it does take a little bit of initiative of the person themselves to want to move forward. You don't have to get, like if you've got a job in the library and you're, you're just not going to progress or go further unless you undertake some other training or put your hand up. No, to do that. Yes. Mm. And, and so I suppose that, that really gives rise to this question I've got is, is that, um, you know, what do you see has been the role of education and lifelong learning in your life, you know, through career? Um, yes, I think you can. I mean, I'm doing a study course now through the... Uh, a Bible study course that I've been doing unit after unit after unit, and um, yes, I enjoy. Well, I enjoy the subject, obviously, obviously, or I wouldn't be doing it. But um, yes, I think you you've got to keep learning whatever you're doing, and maybe it runs in the family. My brother who died last year, at seventy nine. I'm to go in a couple of weeks and pick up his uh, go to his graduation because. Um, Posthumously, he's getting his um, PhD. So he has, even though he was 
had a, a few degrees under his belt because he had been a teacher before he came back to Albury. Um, he's gone on doing courses at CSU and La Trobe and now he's, but he's not going to be here to get his award. But, you know, that's been his love. I'm no ambition to go down that track of I'm picking more things that have genuine interest to me that I want to develop myself in, you know. So I think it's important, whatever your area is, to um, pursue it. No, but I, I, what I do get, um, David Astle, do you know of him? Oh, the co- crossword guy. Yes. He, I remember when I, many years ago, somebody said, oh, we've got an author coming and, oh, I don't really want to, uh, I don't know much about his books, so... Um, you have to do it. So I had to, I met this table, David Astle, and it, this was many years ago. Um, but, yes, yeah, so I had to um, have him there as a, a book, book reading. Yes. So I read his book. It was quite interesting. And it's not, we don't copy it. Of, of his original book isn't in the library now, but every time I hear his name, I think, oh, that's the, that's the, uh, that's I'm the sure guy. he wouldn't know me, but... <laughs> Vernon, my original one, she was really into training the trainees, you know, like sometimes people are just thrown in to do things. So she was good, but she was old, old school for the, the time, uh, but typical of the time. Um, so, yes, she um, she could be strict, but she she was good, yeah. Um, then when I, later on, Mrs Holloway, when I went back she, and... Brown. I'd known her as a deputy librarian in one of my times at the library, but then she came back and she was a librarian mm-hmm. later on. So um, that was she was Upper Murray Regional Librarian, and then now our present day manager, Karina, mm-hmm. um, she has brought us into the two thousands or plus, um, and she has. Um, in, always made a, all it's her nature I think to be aware of what's happening everywhere else and so she's made sure that Aubrey hasn't fallen short and she was had to facilitate and will negotiate between uh, separate or separating from Upper Murray yeah and she's had the vision for the museum and library and as I said some people are more visionary than others and and I think it's great that we've um, got the museum as well because a couple of the girls that have I've gone through have sort of gone, have done after study, but it's been in the museum field. Uh, and so that's made them um, just more generally aware of what's happening. And, yes, so that, that's good. So this, as I said before, a little bit of initiative and then openings, of course, but you have to either train yourself or be prepared to put your hand up or something. And are you happy, like when you reflect back on being a librarian and all your work, are you happy that you walked into the mechanics? Uh, yes, because I, I lived in Central Aubrey. Mm. It was part of my weekend or after school to walk down to the library um, and walk home again and, and because I was a bookworm or still not necessarily not, sitting reading all the time, but I've always got books on the go. When I say the term community, mm-hmm. what does that mean to you? 
Well, it could be um, little groups or it could be a big group. You know, like I go to aqua aerobics, for instance. That's a community group. And look, I had a great thrill this morning because I've just in casual conversation, I've talked about my son in Sydney hosting nine Ukrainian refugees. Uh, yes, they're in his house. And she got out and I said something, oh, we're having a garage sale over the weekend just to raise some more money. And she got out of the pool. She said, oh, I'll get, I'll get out with you. I had to get out of early to get to come back in time to see you. And she said, oh, look, I want to give you something. She gave me a $50 note for them, for the Ukrainian. And I just thought that she trusted me. And I said, look, I don't know what sort of receipt I can give you or anything. She said, oh, it's all right. I just want to help somehow. So, and I think that's a classic example of that little community group supporting me who's supporting them. Yeah. Can't think of a better example than that. Yeah. What steps have you taken in your life to cultivate your community, the place where you belong? Okay, well, we um, go to the, well, we're part of the Presbyterian community and we're very much a big part of that. And I go out and teach scripture. Was up till this year. There's always two days a week to uh, two different schools. This year I'm just doing one school, uh, so that's helping our mission as far as um, the church goes. Um, yeah, I did Lifeline for a while until I think Lifeline's one of those things you can't continually to do unless you. Dedicated to that. Yeah. My husband's out driving for the UPA and um, driving the bus or doing that sort of thing. So, yeah. And, and and my last question on that is, oh, you've just kind of answered it actually. But um, what are you doing now to keep connected to your to your community? Well, apart from going out and doing scripture and being part of the church, like we have a study every Monday afternoon that we facilitate, I suppose out of the church. Um, I go at the library, Lavington Library, just see check, you know, see those girls and and, and be part of the Lavington community. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that my children are grown up I'm less involved in the school things, but um, yeah, I was always interested in my brother's study and that sort of thing. And we're um, a fairly close family, you know, six kids, so we're so interested in all these things because mm-hmm. How has generally the role of motherhood changed, say, for your daughters raising children now from when you were raising your six children? I think that there's more a dual parenting, and I'm not taking anything, uh, is it uh, dual parenting in practical terms? There's always, especially church-based families, um, a sharing of... um, parenting and being part of the family it's it's every you know mother and father both have a very significant role in the family but um, less when I was starting like now husbands um, will change the nappies and do all that sort of thing whereas in my day in my generation generally the husbands would do it only if they had to sort of thing it wasn't taken for granted and I know my daughter-in-laws and I have three expect more uh, different things than what 
um, I would would have wanted even as a mother, you know, well, it's my role, I'll do this. Whereas now it's our role and we do this. So I can see advantages. I can see a few little disadvantages in that, yeah. Oh, well, I think in some ways there's too much expectation from women for what men should do. But that's my opinion, I suppose. I think it's gone a little bit too, in certain circumstances, I, um, because I think there are distinctive roles in a family, man and, and woman, but they have to be gelled together. Well, we arranged, like in our personal situation, we arranged things with my husband's work. We arranged our life to accommodate our children to the, to a certain extent, as in making sure that they were nurtured and had full care and got went to their piano or band or drama or singing lesson or whatever it was. Yeah, so that they didn't miss out. So men were always equal was is equal but the roles have slightly changed yeah what's changed the most if you, for a young woman starting out in the libraries today starting her career today libraries at 21 mm. or 21 they've probably got a degree mm. and well trained so in some ways it's harder then to get the right position because they don't want to get a position that doesn't justify their training. Once they're in the job, it then gives them an opportunity to go for, further forward or they might get, if there's a job vacant, they might be able to um, go sideways into the job to, to get full benefit of their qualifications. Do you have any uh, words of wisdom that you would like to pass on to a young female librarian starting out in the world today? Well, I would, even though we've spoken against it, I would um, say that do as much training as you can, much study as you can, when you've got no other commitments, and that's the simple way to do it, if you, yeah, if your life allows it to, yeah. So. Yes, I'm, I'm all for education and training. Um, yeah, and I think that's probably the way my life has gone. The only thing that I regret is that I sh would have been easier to have done my study straight from school. <laughs> but yeah, it wasn't to be. So, and also embrace change because if you hold back change, it's only going to cause friction. You know, it, it has to be... Well, having... I'll start that again, but having worked in a library a long time, you see things just in workflow and that sort of things go full circle. Oh, we're going to do this now instead of doing that. But then you think, oh, well, we did it that way some time ago and it didn't work, but we'll try it again now. So you've got to be open be open to suggestions, um, embrace change, change 
uh, and other skills. Uh, appreciate other people's skills because sometimes you're not the best or you don't know the best way to tackle that. Listen to somebody else. Just don't think that I'm in control. This is how we do it. I, you know, I have worked with some people who like to only see one way of doing things and we know with computers if you can't do it one way well there must be another way I can do that you know like yeah and and bring people along with you don't lose your arrogance <laughs> lose your um, lack of humility I mean keep a I mean you've got to keep I'm not saying you're a little mouse in the corner but you've got to um, work with others and you've got to appreciate them. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And I don't pretend to have any wisdom on any of this. <laughs> it's just my life. 